think the why can change and you can have more than one why. My why when I was in my early 30s was completely different and it was off kilter. You know, I was addicted to wanting to make a ton of money and my why was so focused on being financially successful and not have the fear or stress of money that I took my eye off the ball. What was the ball? It was my two daughters and my wife. I was so focused on my growing exercise equipment business. What, what eventually happened? My wife ended up having an affair. My why took me so off course that life had to slap me across the head and go, your why is, it was incorrect. The why wasn't about stuff. The why wasn't about the big house. The why was about what was in the house. What is going on, everybody? Guys, welcome back this week to another amazing, guys, and very, very, very exciting episode of The Superman Life. As always, I'm your host, Frank Rich, and I just want to start off today by reminding you guys how incredibly grateful, thankful we are to have you here with us. Guys, here we are, episode 118, and what a doozy do we have here with you. I have one of the world's leading sales trainers Sales trainers in the fitness industry, sales trainers in the in the bike bike industry, coaching industry. Um, but don't be too worried if you're if you're not somebody that's not in the sales, if you're not in entrepreneurship. We spend a small portion of this conversation focused on sales, but we actually come at it from a lens. It doesn't matter what you're doing in your life because sales is communication, right? Influence, persuasion is a part of all of our lives. No matter if we use sales to make a living or we just have relationships with people. So. If you're hearing this and you're like, ah, I'm not a sales guy, this isn't for me, I want to encourage you to stick around because there's so much more in this conversation than just handling objections, just overcoming the big three objections or, what, or, or, or whatever your limiting beliefs are in and about sales. So I want to introduce our guest here. We have with us, like I said, one of the world's leading sales trainers, none other than Joe Marcou. Joe Marcou is the founder of the SOS Dojo, the Sales Objection Handling System Dojo, and he's a sought-after keynote speaker. Now, with over 30 years of specialty retail experience, Joe has managed, owned, and sold retail fitness businesses and has trained thousands of salespeople to become consistently better closers. And Joe cut his teeth in the fitness industry very, very young. So we start the conversation by really talking about his entry point into the fitness industry. And that just took us down this incredible journey of this conversation, talking about the necessary need for fear in achieving and having success. Why do we need fear to achieve anything in our life? Shouldn't we avoid fear? Shouldn't we run from fear? We really smash that. And it's, and it's some really powerful stuff that we get into. We then talk about some of Joe's struggles that he had to overcome. He, he, he gets very vulnerable and very personal. And I'm so thankful for Joe for sharing this because he could have just came in and just gave us his big three objection handling secrets and whatnot. So we want to let you guys really get to know Joe, the man, Joe, the individual. So we talk about some really pivotal parts in his journey and in his relationships in his life and how he was able to overcome these things. We then get into the role that faith and God and religion has played in his life. And once again, guys, we're not coming here from a place of preaching. We're all on journeys. We're all learning. But we really think that there's a lot that can be unpacked from this conversation. Then about the midway point, we make a small little pivot and in, in getting into sales and talking about what are some of the things that people have wrong about sales, the value of body language and communication, how words are really only 7% of the actual communication that you're having with people. And then we get into is everybody have the ability to be great at sales. So, so much in this, this conversation, guys, like I said, it doesn't matter if you're not a business owner. It doesn't matter if you're not a salesperson. This episode will change your life if you let it. So without further ado, guys, let it, let's get into today's conversation with the founder and leader of the SOS jo Dojo, 
none other than Joe Marcou. Hope you guys enjoy this. We'll see you on the other side. Joe, my brother, welcome to the Superhuman Life. Thank you so much, Frank. Listen, I am absolutely honored to be here. I told you before we started recording, I actually made a request from a coach slash friend of mine to introduce us. And like, this is awesome. So I'm, I'm honored, truly honored to be here, brother. Thank you. Well, yeah, the stars, the stars aligned at the right time, man, because you know, you had been on my radar since, since December, like I told you, and I knew I wanted to get you on and, and, and you and I are going to meet in person here in, you know, just a, a little over a month from now. And I was waiting for that, but we'll get this one out of the way. And then we may Let's do, do it. round two in, 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 in Nashville, man. But, in Nashville, you know, man. Yeah. So like I was telling you, Joe, I think I just really want to, you know, just kind of chop it up here with you today, man. You know, our, our stories are very similar, you know, getting into fitness at a young age, then getting into sales and transitioning. And, you know, you've had an incredible journey of your career. Um, and obviously I want to get into some of the tactics and sales stuff and, you know, we'll kind of get towards that, you know, maybe, maybe towards the end, but I think a really good place to start with you, Joe, is let's just talk about kind of the, the, the beginning story of you finding fitness. I know it was at a very, very young age. So we'll kind of use that yep. as kind of the launching off point here today and just sure. kind of really just let our conversation guide where we uh, go. So yeah. How did you find fitness, man? And, and, and let's just kind of use that as a starting point here. My very first barbell set was a gift when I was eight. It was a York barbell set. You guys remember those ones that were cement filled? Yeah. Like the cement filled, like the, like sand or cement plastic weights with the like very, very thin, uh, you know, iron. It was, it was, it, it was horrible, right? Cause it was dangerous because I mean, the weights would fall off. You had the plastic collars at the end. And, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and I, 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 you know, lifted with that till I was about 14, 15. Again, you didn't know what I was doing. You're a kid, right? And then by the time I got to around 14, 15, I really, you know, in high school, I start to go, okay, like I, I need to start getting this a little bit more serious about it. And of course it, it became this thing about bro science back then. So I'm in my fifties. So it just gives you an idea. Like I was at uh, the, the, the idols that I had in the bodybuilding world at that time were Lee Haney, Lee Labrada, Barry DeMay and, and, and the like, right before the, the you know, it, so I'm in the eighties at this, at this yeah. point. And I, and then I remember starting the idea of supplements and I had a friend of mine who had just competed in high school bodybuilding and like he, he was a new friend. It's kind of a convoluted story. He's still one of my best friends to this day. His name's Quentin, Quentin Nielsen and Quentin started dating. He didn't go to my school. He started dating a girl who was a friend of mine in my school. Her name's Rena. And I met Quentin at a high school dance. And here's this dude who's like, you know, like in my mind, he was jacked, right? I mean, he was, and he wasn't jacked, but he was a big dude. And I was like, well, for me, I'm like, he, like he easily had 30 pounds on me and I'm my genetics. I'm just not designed to be a big dude. I mean, back then I was five, nine, I'm shrinking by the way. So I'm five, eight now. And it's like, what the hell's going on, man? Anyways. So, so either way, I'm, I'm five, nine at the time. And, you know, we start talking and he's like, yeah, first things first, man. Changer, he's talking to me about diet. I didn't get it. I'm like 15, 16 when I meet this guy. And, and he's telling me about diet, telling me about training, starts telling me, hey, you got, I'm going back in the day. You got to start taking amino acids. You got to start taking, you know, uh, uh, desiccated liver. And all of it, like this is, some of your older listeners are probably laughing their heads off right now. Like I'm going back way back when. To and and the, the, dude, this is the craziest part. And I don't know if you're like video recording this. I still have my very first can of protein powder 
from Joe Weider. Wow. I saved it. It was called Big. Why? Because it was a weight gainer. Because I wanted to be big, and I'm not designed to be big. So I said, so I have change in it now. So, dude, like think of it. It's it's a metal top container. Like they don't they don't make these. Like it's so. Anyways, so I start I start training, and then I start going to my first gym. Like never mind like training at at school. Now I'm I'm going to a gym which was the European health spa, which is what it was called. My very first health like gym experience. And I'm in Winnipeg. And this is the crazy part, Frank, this is so crazy. I remember being 15 going into the European health spa and it was co-ed with one change room. So men and women. Oh yeah. It was crazy. Like, so I'm a 15 year old, nothing but hormone 15 year old kid. And I'm seeing full grown and like the women there, like they were beautiful in my, like there were a lot of, like, you got to think this is the eighties. So it's not like where fitness is today, where there were ladies only facilities. And like, I'm talking, I'm a, I'm a young guy and there were young dudes, young to my standards today, that they're in their like mid to late twenties, early thirties. And there was stuff happening in the showers, in the, it was crazy. It was crazy. And it was just a weird time. Fast forward a few more years, and then I, I again, because I, I, I was caught into the bodybuilding lifestyle, hook, line, and sinker, I loved it. I thought just the idea of being able to change your physique, and then I got the opportunity to, and I was working, again, I'm the small guy. I'm 5'9 at the time, and at, at my heaviest ever, even in my competing days, off-season weight was 206. This is the heaviest I ever got. My and the heaviest I ever got on stage when I competed because I finally did took my first step. So let's fast forward a little bit here. Took my first steps on stage after being involved in the fitness industry because I started working in a store at the age of 18 and uh, opened up my very first exercise equipment retail store at the age of 20. It took me another 10 years at the age of 30 to actually, you know, come up with the cajones to actually go down and diet and compete. And I actually went down to Minot, North Dakota to go do the North Dakota state championships as opposed to doing it in my own backyard. Because, and this is, this is, it's an important story, I think, for everybody. I was afraid about what I was going to look like because I was already, I had, a, I had an existing fitness business and I was, you know, not to say that I was a celebrity back home. I was known in the community. Of, you know, I was a guy who was going on television talking about health and fitness and wellness and whatnot. And, and so now finally I'm going to compete. And for those of you who've, never competed before, I will tell you, it's probably one of the hardest things you'll ever do in your life if you're going to do it well. And, and it doesn't matter whether you choose to use enhancement, enhancement or not. I, that's not, that's not, I don't care. That's not the issue. The issue here is because, because, you know, performance doesn't come out of a bottle. If you're going to do the work and, and I'll admit I've been clean my whole life, that doesn't make me better than anybody else because I just made that choice. The, the, the fact of the matter is, and again, when I say clean, let me be abundantly clear. That doesn't mean that I haven't, you know, had any type of recreational, you know, fun in, in my lifetime and say that, yeah, I've never inhaled or anything of that nature. Like I'd be lying to you if I said that. So let me, you know, however, and again, what does performance enhancement mean? You know, have I, do I drink caffeine or have I ever taken a caffeine pill? Absolutely. Yes. Have I um, ever looked at, you know, using certain supplements that are available over the counter that even at certain times where, yes, you can, no, you can't, yes, you can, you know, that was it. Anyways, the dieting factor 
the the weighing your food I got through all of that process Frank it was the hardest thing that I'd ever experienced and I did it I came in second despite being not from the local area and then I went to the provincials the following year came in third thought I got it out of my system I said okay that's it and then in my 40s I went back and I said okay I'm going to do masters and then I I actually won the novice then I won the provincials then I went to Canadians came in second then I did the world qualifier and I won and then I went all the way in classic division so again they they came out with classic uh, which is not right. And then in classic, I actually went and competed for Canada. I represented Canada at uh, so- in Sofia in Bulgaria. That would have been ten years ago. No kidding! Wow, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know all this about I'm sharing that with you because you've you've got your bodybuilding background, and so I get it. In fact, I finished off in the IDFA. I got I keep this trophy just as a reminder of the hard work. So this was the in 2013. I won the uh, what they call the Prairie Classic, and I got my pro card at, in the international drug free athletics and yeah i definitely if you don't mind i don't want to yeah, i don't want to cut here but i do want to maybe zero in a little bit here like i said i didn't know this part about sure. your story but you know one thing i've talked a lot about and i actually put a video on youtube yesterday lessons that i learned from bodybuilding that helped yeah. me quit porn and i think that ultimately the decade that i spent prior to making the decision to get porn out of my life played a very pivotal role and it's why we've integrated so much fitness because i think there's so much that I got out of it. Yeah, I got some really cool trophies. I got some amazing photos. Like sure. I made some incredible friendships. I've been able to travel, go to you know some amazing gyms all around the country and, and whatnot. But when I really look at what bodybuilding did to me, it taught me some very important lessons. It taught me important character traits or helped me develop important character traits that I've been able to direct into business, direct into entrepreneurship, direct into porn recovery now. And, and, and I'm curious with you, like, what do you feel as a very successful businessman now? Like, what have you learned? Like, how has bodybuilding transformed your life, maybe relationships, maybe business, and put you in a position like here to succeed and do the things that, that you're doing now? That's a great question. Uh, and and I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to add a twist to the question. So first of all, there's some good that there's 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 more good than bad that came out of it. There is some bad that came out of it, and I'm and and again talking about recovery. Mm. I'll 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 because because yeah. I got addicted to it. I got addicted to training. No, I've I've been open and, and talked about I've talked about my my struggles as well, and that's and that's why in 2019, as a part of this kind of new journey that I've been on, a big part of me was removing the attachment that I had to this physique. Like, yeah. so I, I was unconfident, you know, I, I struggled with some, you know, insecurity and just kind of some self-esteem issues. And I think the way that I masked a lot of that was in becoming the biggest, strongest, most alpha guy. So where you five, nine, I'm six, three, 240 plus pounds on stage. So Sick. I put a lot wow. of my identity, a lot of my identity was wrapped up in when I walk into a room, I need to be the biggest. I need to be the strongest. I need to be the most quote unquote alpha. And if I wasn't that, the little child inside of me wouldn't feel safe in that room. And a big part of my recovery was breaking the attachment that I had to that identity. So I definitely understand the negative side of things, but please, I, I, I hijacked your answer. No, 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 no sweat, man. So, so the, the positive of it was the discipline, the, the physical benefit, the, the, the endorphins, just the feeling. And the, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a big believer in taking notes. Like as I stand here, like I've got, I, I took some notes just you know, between you and me, prior and if I think something's important so I, I I've got all my training journals from when I, I was a kid 
And, and, and I, I love going back to those. And of course, now the training's different now that I'm in my fifties and I, the goal isn't necessarily the same. Although some of the movements still are, I still squat to this day. I just don't squat four or five. You know, I'm going two twenty five, And instead of doing reps of, you know, three, four, now it's like, okay, let's do 20 reps because I want to make sure. And let, you, you know what that's like 20 reps uh, with a reasonable weight. It, it's, it's not the same as doing 10, you know? And, and again, I'm not, I don't believe in just stand at the top and breathe for five seconds and then do, do another rep. Like I don't it, like, let's go. And then just by the way, again, there's, there's the added benefit of, of, you know, like we can talk about cold water immersion and the mental toughness aspect. I was talking to some guys that are in my program where I'm at the, the idea of, Hey, yeah, I do a minute. And again, I'm not a personal trainer anymore. I'm just talking about, you know, the, some of the exercises that I do. So give you an example, do one minute of lunges on the treadmill at 15% grade at 1.9 miles an hour, hop off the treadmill after a minute and then go do squats for reps of 10 and then do a one minute of the temple, which is basically holding two 10 pound plates in each hand in a squatted position for 60 seconds. And you tell me if you're not feeling the burn for six days after, and I'm, I'm, you know, and I'm doing that now. So what it does as it gives me the mental toughness because I'm constantly, and, and this may sound ridiculous to you, I'm constantly dealing with fear. I'm like, Frank, I, it, it's bizarre. When I was a kid, when I first started lifting, it, it, fear was the thing that drove me. And so I started lifting because of that reason where I needed to get over it because I wanted to build up some, some of that. Like I, I looked at these guys and they were like, it was like the Conan look. It was the confidence. It was just, man, they just have this presence. And you know, did I ever achieve that? No, I, I achieved more that mattered. And so what I got out of bodybuilding was the benefit of health, the benefit of fitness, the benefit of better knowledge of nutrition, because I became this sponge of learning. And, you know, I made choices and I made choices early on, you know, understanding that, hey, you know what, it doesn't mean that I didn't drink when I was young. Of course I did. Doesn't mean that I didn't play around with drugs when I was young. Yes, I did. I'm just, I'm, I know that I did a lot less of that because of bodybuilding. I got involved in the health and fitness industry because of what bodybuilding did for me. And it gave me the opportunities to be able to, you know, get, it, it led me to where I am now. And so the, the downfall that I had was the addiction to training. I was literally addicted to the lifestyle so hard that I was overtraining and I was like, like I would get. I was catching colds constantly. And, and then of course, because of the, the goal orientedness that I had, because of, of like, if I was getting ready for a competition, I would literally cut everything out of my life that really mattered. And so now that it's behind me, even in my forties, by the way, I made, I made sacrifices and you have to, if you're going to be, if you're, if you're going to be good at anything, you got to make sacrifices. What I've learned though now is I want to surround myself with people and conditions that I want to produce to see the outcome. And so I'm still healthy. I still exercise. That doesn't mean that I don't have a cheat meal once in a while. It doesn't mean that I don't, you know, enjoy a nice bottle of wine and you know, that kind of thing. However, I would rather not spend, you know, like money on a cheap bottle of wine where I'd rather spend a little bit more and know what I'm having is good. And if I'm going to train, I'm going to make sure that the training matters. I don't spend a ridiculous amount of time in the gym anymore. And I don't feel guilty if I don't train, by the way. There were times where it was like, you know what? That was part of the problem. 
I would feel guilty if I didn't work out. And I know that now it's just part of my lifestyle. And I know that if I feel a certain way that, and I don't know, do you ever feel this way? Like, it's like, dude, I need to get into the gym right now and just get some steam out. And it's, it's just whatever. And so when I go back to this fear thing, you know, fear is going to like the fear that I have that I'm living with right now, as weird as this sounds, is the fear of success. This is going to sound so weird for people. <laughs> yeah. Unpack that a little bit. If yeah. So, so I was, I just told my, I got some people that are, they're, they're members of my staff. I call them my black belt team. I just told them this on Wednesday. Um, we're about to go through some good growth within the company. We're, we're, we've got opportunities that we're speaking at an event this, this month. We're speaking at a big event that you and I are going to see each other next month. And there's going to be opportunity within that. And, and of course, coming from a background when I was a kid, we were really poor. And I'm, you know, a lot of people have heard this type of story before. And that's, it's not the story that matters. It's, it's how it matters to you as the individual. So in my heart, when I remember being a kid where, you know, my mom, again, and I, nothing against my parents, they split up. My father left the city. He lived on the other side of the country for my childhood. I have a great relationship with my dad to this day. We were awesome. So just, you know, and we had to work those barriers out. That was, that was challenging. However, when I go to the fear space, it's that, you know, when mom couldn't even afford new rubber boots. And so I get to a place where now, thanks to like you spent a lot of money, had to learn some skills, had to invest in myself and money isn't a problem right now. And the truth is money is not, is not a problem. The growth of it though, is I find myself where now it's like, we've got some and now it's like, Oh my God, I don't want to spend it. And, and I mean, I was talking to some other people about this where it's like, yeah, you can take the, the, you can take this to the bank. If you try to avoid fear and pain in the now, you're just going to have more fear and pain later. Cause it's going to be called regret. And, and so as tough as this is, like we had a meeting this morning with my brand new marketing team. And now I'm like, okay, guys, let's do it. And I told them, I said, I'm shitting my pants right now. <laughs> like, like, I'm literally like, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, I'm part of the language. So like, like I'm, 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 I'm feeling fear right now. And the, the guys just said, just hang on, Joe, you'll be fine. So, and I got to... You know, like the trust piece, you got to trust people. I've got to trust my people. And that's hard. This is, this is, I don't, I don't mind blowing. It's probably not the, not the proper word, but first of all, thank you. I really appreciate you being as open and vulnerable here, but I think that this is a very important conversation, not for anybody specific that's listening, but actually for me. So I'm curious, Joe, because I feel that I'm at a stage right now in my business and kind of my, my personal growth, that some of that fear of success is beginning to appear. So I had a very, I say very successful, knowing some of the people that you and I both know, the numbers I was doing in my previous company are like, that's like a day's worth of work for some of those individuals that you and I know. But for me, where, where I came from, like I told you, you know, I had a paycheck in, when I was 21 years old, that was like a quarter of what my dad's salary was in a year. And then by 30, I was, I was bringing in that amount of revenue almost on a daily or at least a weekly basis in a company that I ran. So we did a couple million dollars in the ticket and entertainment industry in sales over a four and a half year period. And it was a very high overhead business. So when I say that number, it sounds a lot better than it really was because, you know, what I was actually ending up with at the end, it was still a multi six figure, you know, net income for, for me, which is an incredible 
position, no matter where, no matter where you are. Right. Um, but I, I, I wasn't prepared. I wasn't financially, you know, uh, educated at that point. So I was spending it faster than it was coming in. And I've had to struggle, you know, personally in my mid to late thirties, just financially, because that business kind of went under, I made a really couple very, very poor decisions, uh, both of what I was doing with the liquid and also how I was kind of managing some of our inventory. So long story short, like after reaching the top pinnacle of what I thought financial success was, I've hit rock bottom. I've had to borrow money from people. I've had to, you know, return home. Like I've had to, you know, drive Uber and do, do all these things. But now I've gotten this, this new company, this new business, this new mission, this whole nother platform where like we're good. Like I'm no longer at a point where like I got to worry about, you know, the end of the month and, and things like that. We're in an incredible, there's an incredible opportunity now and it's growing, it's growing every single day. But I'm also realizing it's like, maybe I'm not taking things as quickly and as aggressive because some of that fear of the past failures are beginning to kind of reappear. Like you've messed this up once, you might as well just stay where you are right now because you're safe and you're comfortable. So not really sure I could tie this into a, to a question here, but any anything you're doing here, you know, to, to kind of manage that fear or is fear a necessary element for success? Because I'm curious with you, some of the success and maybe even the addiction that you had with fitness, how much of that was manifested and rooted in fear of if I don't get to the gym today, I'm going to lose yesterday's yeah. game. Oh so. God, that, you know, it, and it, it, it was just, it, that's, so the, the, the answer to your question, because that was very poignant, is fear necessary in success? In my mind, the answer is yes. Because the risk that, here's the risk. And we, I was just saying this to somebody earlier today. The risk is this. You can risk not doing and not getting to where you want to go. Or you can risk doing, and some people have guarantees and blah, blah, blah. And that's not what I mean, right? You can risk doing whatever it is that you want to risk and invest in yourself. And the real reality of it is, is that when you take that risk to get to a desired outcome, you're going to go through some growth which means you're going to go through some pain, just like in the gym. That's the risk. And so when you train and you train with intensity, what's the risk? You're going to go through discomfort. Now, the beauty of it really is you get, we can truly choose how much discomfort do I, do I want to go into and how much can I handle? And if you think about guys like David Goggins, his answer is you can handle way more than you realize. And I truly believe that. And those that are incredibly successful people that I look up to, they say the same thing. It's like, you know what? Had, had I known, this is a, and I, I know now, I, I look back two years and I go, had I known then what I know now, I should have, right? And so it comes back to, and I think about whether it's prayer or meditation. So what do I do? I, I, I make a point of like, as I'm, as I'm speaking to you now, I'm standing up. Right? I'm a big believer in high energy, so I want to make sure that I'm not sitting down when I need to get myself pumped up. I get up. and I, My physical state is going to change my mental state. There is no doubt about that. So I can put on music. That's fine. First things first, I stand up. Then what I do is I see myself surrounded, literally, and again, whether you want to call it meditation, whether you want to call it prayer, and I do both. I see myself as surrounded by the people and the conditions I want to produce. I literally visualize myself surrounded by those people who are lifting me up. So am I scared? Yes. Am I doing it? Yes. Do I do other things that drive me as, as far as a regular habit? And you mentioned like, for example, Craig Valentine, who's one of my coaches, like one of my parts of my morning routine is, you know, before I start work, 
I, I literally, I start my coffee, I go shave, I go downstairs, I jump in the shower for two minutes, cold water. I hate it. I do it in, and I don't even think about it. I just get in, like, this is Winnipeg, Canada, cold water. Like it's freaking cold, man. How cold is it, Joe? About that cold. It's cold, right? So like, and it, it's, and I do it anyways. And then what I do is I do my morning stretch. All of like my, from, from 5.30 to 6, I've got a 30 minute wake up process from being shaved. I'm ready to go. I'm dressed. I don't, I don't just hop out of bed and then go in disheveled at my desk. I, I have to kind of warm up a little bit. And my warm up includes a cold shower. And then I do a, I do a, a, a three minute stretch for my hamstrings. And to this day, I mean, it's like, I can't believe the people that don't have the flexibility. It's like, listen, because I'm telling you, Frank, I'm going to be the great grandfather. Forget grandfather, because I don't have grandkids yet. I'm going to be the great grandfather who's on the floor with the great grandkids. I'm going to be playing with little toys and getting off the ground. Like that's the end game now. So when I think about that, it's why do I do it? Do I, am I scared? Yes. So go back to my why. Start with your why. Why am I doing it? Well, I want, I'm, I'm doing all of this work because I know I'm making a difference in people's lives. I know that I'm making an impact. And so because of that, and I'm, I wish I had the recording because it's, it's being processed as we speak. I had a member of my program in tears today saying a year ago, I couldn't afford to be here, Joe. I did it anyways. I didn't tell my, my fiance. We, we had an argument about it. We almost broke up our, our soon-to-be marriage. And now last night, both of us were crying as to how, de- how indebted we are to you. And he's saying this to me today. I kid you not. I can't make this up, Frank. And, and I'm like, oh, my God. It's like, that's a why. That's a why. It's like, the money is, has become, and it's weird to think of it. It's hard for anybody who's been in a position where it's like, dude, I don't even know how I'm going to eat next week to think that the money's a byproduct of what I'm doing now. It's so great to, to and, I'm, and I'm not suggesting that I'm flying around in a jet and blah, blah, blah. That's not what I'm saying. I, we live a very humble lifestyle. However, it, it, it's, and it's taken some work to get here. I could have got here way sooner. I could have got here way sooner. Anyways. Yeah, that's good, man. Uh, I appreciate that. No, no, that's great. I do want to, I do want to circle back to fear though. Um, Cause I, I, I agree. I do, I do believe that there's, there's gotta be an element of fear. Um, that's going to lead to lead to success. So I guess maybe on the flip side now, somebody's hearing this and they're like, what? Like, I'm pretty good in my life right now. Like things are going pretty well. I'm not really afraid of kind of, kind of anything. So they're kind of in that safe space. Sure. And maybe you and I have been, I've been there. there. I've, I've been, I've been safe and comfortable a handful yep. of times. What's a piece of advice there or, 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 or what's kind of the first step or two. I know this isn't really kind of, kind of what you do, but I think obviously we can, we can get something, something valuable here. Like, so if somebody is kind of, you know, kind of auditing their life right now. And they're like, I don't really have anything that, that I'm afraid of. What would a piece of advice to that? So it it comes back to why are you doing what you're doing? What is your, why, what's your Mm. driver? What's the impact that you're doing right now or making on other people? Cause we, if, if you're not here to give your life away, so to speak, and give back to other people. And I'm assuming that the people that are listening are people that are self actualizing people. Like not everybody on this planet is in that space. I'm assuming that the people that listen to this, you guys are people that are making a difference not only in your own life, you're also open to the idea of making a difference in other people's lives. And no matter how that is, what it is, whether it's offering your time, and it's not about selling anything. I'm just simply saying that you're making a difference and you're helping people. I don't, because what's the point? Like this whole thing about this, you know, when you think about I'm caught up in KPIs and everything else. Yeah. 
take a step back, go back about 30,000 miles from the earth and realize that, hey man, like where did we come from and why are we here? If you really, so when I start to think about it in that, those perspectives, it's not about metrics or anything else. It's about what, what am I do, doing as far as a difference in the relationships of the people that I care about? And when I start to ask myself that, then it's what am I doing to be able to help myself grow? Like there's four things that I tell the people on my team that choose to be on my team. And it's like, guys, we need, and it's guys, ladies and gentlemen, it's we are here to number one, make a difference. Number two, have fun. Like number two is have fun on the list. Number three is keep growing. Number four is get paid. And that, right? Like those, that's it. Make a difference, have fun, keep growing, get paid. So if the first question I have is, are you making a difference? And I'm not suggesting that, you know, are you making a difference to the whole planet? It could be, are you making a difference in a child's life? Because I, you, you know, you, you say this, Frank, and it's like, I'm comfortable right now and I'm not afraid of anything. Okay. Let me ask you, not you specifically to the listener. Is it because like you're, you, you could be making six figures and you, you've got a good job and it's pretty cushy? Okay, that's fine. Do you have people in your life where you have challenges with? Because everybody does. And then when you get to that point in your life where you know, you're the old guy and you're on the rocking chair out on the front porch and you're looking back, can you honestly tell me that you're going to look back with a glint of joy in your eye, or are you going to look back where you're going to be swearing and going, I should have done that. And I didn't. Because I tell you what, I, that's fear, that fear of regret. You can't get it back. Like you can't go back in time. We know this. So, so like, is it worth the risk for me? hundred percent, hundred percent, totally worth going for it. Love that. Love that so much. Um, no, I'm glad, I'm glad, I'm glad we went there, Joe. Um, so I think it was, I think it's, I think it's obviously necessary and, and yeah, I definitely think, you know, the people that are consuming this are, you know, are in that, you know, two, 5% of, of, of the population that, you know, maybe they don't really feel they're making an impact right now, but at least they're interested in, 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 in learning it. So do you think, you know, purpose or why do you think that's something, you know, that we're innately born with? Do you think it's something that developed over time? And do you think, so our, our audience is going to range from, you know, 20, you know, mid twenties to 50. So there's kind of, you know, when I look back at my life too, there's, there's been different stages, you know, what I was doing in my twenties, was it really my purpose? No, but I don't, I don't know if I would have landed here if I hadn't gone through that. So with you kind of finding your why and, and, and landing on your b- bigger purpose, do you think it was something from, from the beginning and that's why fitness was an introduction at, at age eight? Or do you think that we, we need to go through and maybe do things that we're not really super passionate about in the early stages to develop certain skills? So once again, it's not a, not a clearly black and white question. There's a lot of gray in there, but thoughts on, on, on purpose and why? I think the why can change and you can have more than one why. Like I can guarantee you that because, you know, my why when I was in my early thirties was completely different and it was off kilter. I was, you know, I was addicted to wanting to make a ton of money and my why was so focused on being financially successful and not have the fear or stress of money that I took my eye off the ball and the, the ball, what was the ball it was my two daughters and my wife. I was so focused on my growing exercise equipment business that I focused so much in, in energy on that, that what, what eventually happened? My wife ended up having an affair with my best friend, the godfather to my youngest daughter. 
So fear, you want to talk about fear. And again, I told you earlier, earlier on, my, my parents got divorced. So what did I say to myself when I first got married? I said, I'm never going to get a divorce ever, ever. I said it out loud. I told her never going to get a divorce. Then I find out not only is she having an affair, she's having an affair with my then best friend, godfather to my youngest daughter. I'm like, so now it's like, and I, and through it all, I don't want, I don't want to have a divorce because I don't want my kids to go through what I went through. And so where do you think my why took me so off course that life had to slap me across the head and go, your why is, it was incorrect. The why wasn't about stuff. The why wasn't about the big house. The why was about what was in the house. And I, I lost a portion of it. And I ended up losing a friend. And yet it, that was good, by the way. This is, you know, God's honest truth. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. At the time, it was horrible. And I went, I went, and, I went and sought counseling. And it was, it was really interesting. I went and saw this counselor who had this uh, anger management course. And he goes, I, I highly recommend that you come to this anger management course. So I go in and I'm the only guy who's there voluntarily. Everybody else is a criminal that it, everybody, Frank, everybody there is in by the penal system or by the court saying you have to go to this anger management course. And this is the scary part. Everybody's sharing their story, like why they're there. And it's for like just mundane reasons why they've lost their cool. I, I say this and I, you know, I got to show you this. I say this to people that, that I, I train. I go like, listen, when emotions go up, intelligence goes down right? So emotions go up, intelligence goes down. Well, so they're all telling me, yeah, my old lady, you know, she uh, got a flat and I lost it and I punched her. And I'm like, so they're all like true story. And then I go up and it's like, yeah, my best friend is having an affair with my wife and and I'm telling them and everybody is like shell shocked. And they're like, did you hit him? I'm like, no. Did you hit her? No why are you here? Have you gone to court? No, I volunteered. (laughs) Like they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. Now, did I want to like lash out? Yeah. And this go back to fitness. It was fitness that helped me get through that. It was the discipline. And by the way, the moment that my, I knew my emotions were just going completely berserk. I sought help. I went into recovery. I actually went into Al-Anon because there was some drinking going on with my, my ex-wife and my ex-best friend and, and other drug use that I was like, their drinking was making me go bananas, let alone the whole situation was crazy. And so that, that, and I went into a men's group and that group was instrumental to helping me recover myself, recover my identity. And it made me realize that, you know what, I need to be a better father. And to this day, I have a great relationship with my daughters. Like I'm so blessed. I'm so blessed, man. So it was the best thing that could ever happen to me because as odd as that sounds, and so the why back then reshaped my why now. Now I'm remarried and, you know, we have all our Shauna's kids and my kids combined, all five are tight. They all have left the house. So we're now in a different space in our lives. And yet the why is the future. Like I live in the now. I'm, I know I'm speaking with Frank Rich and everybody's listening to the Superhuman Life podcast. But I, I, as I sp- say this to you, I look over at my vision board and what we have on it, it's not a, about this house on the lake. It's what the house represents. 
we're building this place because of knowing that there's going to be grandkids one day. And then the fitness aspect and the me wanting to live a long life. Like I did this program called Lifebook and I said, yeah, I'm going to die at 125. And people are like, what? I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to live to 100. I'm going for it. 125. I want to be a great grandfather and I'm, I'm going to be active and on the ground with my great grandkids. Because if you can't get off the ground, you're going to die. So I'm saying when I'm on the ground, like I'm not, mm. I don't need to be doing 405 squats. Oh. I'm just simply saying I can get myself off the ground and play. That's what matters. That's my why. Yeah. I, I check in with it every once in a while just to make sure I still got it. And, and I do, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll throw four oh or five on. Just like, yeah, I, I still got it. I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to, I don't need to work with it. Actually, it was crazy. I've, I've, I'm, I'm chasing, um, I want to get 50 unbroken pull-ups by the end of the year. It's like my one fitness goal. I want to get back under 10% body you. fat. So I have a kind of a physique yeah. looking goal. And then I want to get 50 unbroken about 255 pounds right now. And I can get 31, 32 pretty clean. Um, but I've noted, I've realized like it's, it is adding so much strength to my back. I don't do a lot of heavy rack pulls anymore. It was a staple for me in bodybuilding, but two weeks ago, I'm like, let me just see what I got and got four plates banged out 15 nice. pretty quickly Threw five plates on got a set of 10 real quickly Threw six plates on. I was like, I don't think I could pull this. And I got two and it felt incredible. I hadn't done a rack pull in six months, but I'd done 50 pull-ups every single day. So yeah, I'll check it oh, every, every, every once in a while. Um, Joe, I want to thank you once again, man. I mean, it's none of this is shocking to me. You know, obviously, you know, I've, I've like run an addiction recovery ish yeah. podcast here. You know, we're, we're not only about addiction, but that's obviously the work that I do. You know, I talk about, you know, admitting my porn addiction, was the point that changed my life. So to hear these things, it's not reveal. It's not shocking to me. It's actually more shocking that in all the research and all the, all the other interviews that I've listened to you, none of this has come up because I think it's really a lot of these parts of your story that are really creating the success. Yeah. There's the books and there's a the coaching yeah. and the mentor and the, the daily habits and all this. But I really think like, and I'm curious your, your take on this. Like, do we need to go through a, a period of, of rock bottom or something similar? Do we kind of need to get knocked upside the head? Do we need to be shooken by God or can somebody reach your level of success? I, I, we know a lot of the same people and almost every single one of them has yes. that point. I, I, it's either I hit the top of it and I realized this wasn't all that it was meant to be. So I had to self, you know, I had to look inside and, and kind of see what more was life about, or it's the opposite. I hit the rock bottom and it was in that moment that I said, I'm never going to do this again. And that's where it changed. So do you think a, a, a period of like that is necessary for like high, high success? Not a, not a six figure, you know, it's like everybody should be making six figures. Like literally, like if you aren't making six figures, like, oh, that, yeah, that's, like, that, it's that's just me. too easy. If you're not days. making six figures right now, like the, there, there's something, there's something off is that is so available for all. Yeah. That's that, that, that should just be a reality. Okay. The, the, the other, yeah. so, so does everybody need the, the rock bottom, the knocked upside the I, head I do. to, I, to I, reach the, the ultimate peak and fulfill their and, full and, purpose? And, and, and the answer is yes. Those are lessons that, as you as you placed it, you know, God or life has given you those lessons for a reason, and it's on repeat. I mean, it's 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 on repeat. If you don't get the lesson, it comes back. It comes back, and it'll come back. You know, like there's this 10x movement, right? I want to 10x your business. I want to 10x your sales. Okay, guess what? It's also going to be if you didn't get the lesson the first time, it's going to come back harder, and likely it'll come back to you 10x. So there's a there's a other side of that coin that people don't we don't talk about. And so, yes, I mean, there's the struggle is real and you have to embrace it and it's okay. It's to, like, it's part of life. And this is the, this is the crazy part about social media. We all see, and myself included, 
I put up, you know, the good stuff and I put up, you know, good tips and blah, blah, blah. Um, you don't, yeah, it's the highlight reel. And yet the truth of the matter is there's a lot of lows that we don't see. It's, it's, it's the, 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 it's not realistic. So I think that you're, you, you asked the right question. Is, is that something that we need in, as the human experience? I think it's written, it, it, it's, it's written as part of the, it's in the manual, man. You're going to have to go through this. And those people who, who pick up your cross daily, recognize that this is actually part of the, the you did, it, it's part of the manual. It's part of the journey. And, you know, I'm going to go a little deep here. We've been given the choice, right? This whole thing of some people don't think that we have free will. Actually, you do. You have free will. And are you willing to be aware of when you're in it? Of how, like, as opposed to, I'm going to be consciously disconnected to my source, to God. Because you can choose to say, you know what? I don't want to deal with this right now. I'm going to flick something on and I'm going to, you know, let her rip. Or I'm going to grab, I'm going to start watching TikTok because I don't want to think about this right now. Or I, because it, it, you know, or I'm going to drink something right now, or I'm going to go eat as opposed to go talk to somebody about it. Literally just have the conversation and deal with the, the like, we're dudes, we're freaking guys. And guess what? We don't have these conversations that are hard enough, like to be able to say, this is, this is painful. And yet everybody that you and I have talked about have, have been able to come to a place where not only did they go through the garbage, now they share it. And so the, you're giving me the opportunity to do the same thing because everybody, if, if, if everybody has gone through the garbage, the question is, have you done the work afterwards so that you don't go through it again? Because it, again, if you didn't do the work, go, if you went through something and then you come back up, like how many times have you seen people and people do this with their weight loss, for example, they lose the weight, they gain the weight, they lose the weight, they gain the weight. And the way I, I like to define it is they, they, they do weight loss and then they're in their headspace. They go, what happens when you lose something, Frank? Your, your brain tells you to go find it. So you lose it, you go find it, you go lose it, you go find it. And wouldn't it be great to be able to go and do the work so that you can just release it and let it go for good? And so you have to do the work, right? So you can have like people that might be listening that, that, that are fitness and, and, and weight loss coaches, for example. Well, guess what? Yeah, you're a fitness and weight loss coach. Is it sustainable? Because you can do a 12-week program and be done, right? 12 steps. Or you could do the program and you could live the life. So, so how I, how I phrase that in, in our business rebuilt recovery, you know, we help guys overcome their addiction to pornography, but I don't want to help anybody just quit, quit porn. Like, because what does that ultimately mean? You just stopped watching some videos. Fantastic. I want to help you become the man that can live without porn because it's in that becoming that you develop the habits, you develop the identity of a man that no longer needs this in his life. You can quit anything. You want to quit porn? Stop watching it. Nobody's forcing you to do it. It's actually really easy. Just stop it. But chances are at some point life's going to knock you down. You're going to get stressed, anxious, whatever the feeling is going to be. And you're quickly going to revert back to that. But if you become the man that no longer needs it, then in those moments of stress, anxiety triggers, you seek an alternative way to heal that pain versus the old route, which is the instant gratification, easy pleasure, dopamine hit. And then you're caught up in the real. I, I got a question cycle, for you on so. that. Cause I'm curious. And, and you're definitely more of an expert at this than, than me in my, in my own opinion here. So it's, do people, do people just trade off? Like if you, and I'm not saying that there's a trade off where you can, you can trade a quote unquote bad addiction for a quote unquote good addiction. Cause we have choice, right? It's free, free will. 
I'm simply saying, have you seen people who, because I've seen this, somebody who says, yeah, I've, I've stopped taking drugs. Now they're drinking and, and, or they've, they've stopped doing, because you know, you can have the type A personality and I'll raise my hand. I'm definitely one of them. Like, I'm like, yeah, I'm in. Right. So it's that, it, yeah, 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 I'm double A. So, so then it's like, okay, well, what's, what's the, the you know, that, that, that whole thing about, you got to have a work life balance. Cause you know, you're a business owner, I'm a business owner. And like it, I don't know if there is such a thing as a like perfection in work life because life isn't perfect. There's a book I read years ago called the spirituality of imperfection. And in the front cover is this beautiful urn, the beautiful urn. And it's, it's got cracks all over it. And that's the whole thing. And the quote, the quote that I got from that book, by the way, that's just, and it's a great book, by the way. And the quote is this man is a God who shits. Man is a God who shits. Just like picture that like the, right. And so like, it ain't perfect. There's a spirituality aspect of that. It's not perfect. Right. No, no. I think, I think I got your question there. Um, you know, we don't, we don't try to replace the behavior. We don't try to replace the habit with anything, right? Because what's going to happen three months down the road, if you didn't solve the root problem or the root cause of the behavioral addiction, you're either going to revert back to that, or you're going to be caught up in a completely different uh, addiction. And, 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 and sometimes we, we begin to replace these things with what we feel are maybe positive habits, but you both and I, you both, you and I have both admitted to having an addiction to training at the bodybuilding. So even something that can be a very good thing for you can become incredibly destructive in your life. So no, I'm not an advocate. It's not something that we promote and teach and talk about. And when guys come to me, Frank, what can I do in the moment to replace pornography? Nothing. Solve the root problem of it. Figure out why you're running to pornography in the first place. And let's solve the problem from that place first. Once again, in changing who you are in that identity change in developing new habits and becoming the man that no longer seeks it. And most often it's, it's rooted in some elements of pain or fear or, or something that has happened. And it's, and it's, it's not always trauma related. Uh, It's, it's many times a confidence issue that we need to work uh, through and help the man develop confidence. I'm a big fan of Ed Milet's definition for confidence. Self-confidence is nothing more than keeping the small promise or it's built and kept by keeping the small promises that you make to yourself. So confidence can quickly be developed by setting a plan for your life, setting small little actionable tasks that you're going to accomplish and then acknowledge yourself for doing them. And you do that long enough then when you say, I'm going to stop watching porn, you actually believe yourself. That's the problem most of these guys don't, is they don't believe themselves when they say they want to do it because they hit snooze. They don't go to the gym. They're afraid to have the difficult conversation at work. They're afraid to approach the girl. So they're not doing anything that they say they're going to do. So by quickly solving that problem, by saying, when you set the alarm to wake up at six o'clock in the morning, put the phone on the other side of the room or outside of the room. So you can't just reach over and hit snooze, force yourself to get up, walk across the floor. Now you're forced to make a decision. Am I going to start my day? Keep my promises that I make to myself. Cause once again, how you do one thing is how you do everything, right? Like, you know, Bejo's, Bejo's Cooley thing always, always says. So no, I'm not a fan of, of, of the replacing of behaviors or habits. You mean a faith? So if you're asking me, like, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put it this way. Um, I've, I was born and raised a, as a French Canadian you come out a card carrying member of the Catholic church, right? However, um, in my experience, in my experience, what I, what I've learned is how to feel guilty. And again, I'm not knocking the Catholic church. I learned from my, even my parents have said, 
you know, you get to take your own path. And so I went church shopping and, and I'll tell you, I, 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 I left the church for a while. You can you know, imagine why I, I remember where my ex-wife and my friend were having, I was, I, my expectation, which turned into a resentment, by the way, my expectation was everybody at church was going to side with me and basically, you know, shoo them out. And that didn't happen. Right. And I, I left that church angry. And so, uh, and, and, you know, now I can tell you that, uh, I'm a, I'm a very proud father of a daughter who's going to Bible college. She wants to have her own church. Uh, I believe in what she's doing. My relationship with God, I've learned to keep an open mind for the sake of this planet. I have my own beliefs and yet I respect other people's choices as well. I hope that makes sense to you. So there's some spiritual teachers that I love so, and, 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 and I'm still learning. And there's things that I've learned from other texts. The one that I know the best is the Bible because I grew up with it and there's a lot of good stuff in there. And I'll, t- I'll even go, I'll even go as far as saying that I listened to a meditation that includes the book of Job right before bed. And it's, it, it's the, in essence, it's when you're slumbering on your bed, he will open your ears and seal your instructions. That's Job 33 verse 15 and 16. And so what's fascinating with that is that's, that is technology for all of us, whether you believe in God or whether you believe in Christ, that's, that is technology that you can take to the bank because that to me, when, when I hear that and I read that and I blend that with the science that is now available to us with pre bedtime meditation. And this was in scripture. We're going back 2000 years here, kids tell me that. Right. So like, like take that to the bank. So yeah. Um, yeah, I still have a journey to go though, Frank. I mean, that's the truth. I'm, I still find myself at times, Sean and I were discussing this. It's like, I'm still a seeker. If that makes sense. Mm. No, a hundred percent. I'm, I'm, I'm glad I asked it. Cause you, you kind of dropped a couple things throughout this entire conversation. I was like, Hmm. Okay. I get that. I get that. And I just, I hope you don't mind me bluntly asking it. Um, you know, I've been very open, you know, I've been very open about, about my journey, you know, my faith, I, you know, I came to my faith through, through the seven figure mastermind. I remember hearing, uh, Papa Luch, Vince's dad, who you'll meet in, uh, in Nashville. Vince brought him up at the first event I ever attended back in July of 2017, before the mastermind even existed. This is where Vince made the first pitch. Uh, Papa, you know, Papa Luch comes up and, you know, I was 34 ish at the time, 2007, 33, 34. So I'd lived, you know, like 30 plus years, uh, in, in, in the world, you know, still seeking, like I've been, you know, I've been studying Tony Robbins and personal development since I was 17, 18 year old, much, much like you. So I always knew that there were, I always knew that there was more out there. I always, I always was, was seeking answers and, um, but yeah, coming to my faith there and, and now really, you know, engrossing myself in the Bible these last four years, it's made everything else that I've read makes so much more sense though, right? Because it's all rooted in this one source of ultimate truth. And then I can tie it all together and be like, yeah, okay, what Tony's saying over there, what Joe Dispenza is talking about, you know, this guy over here, I'll pull and I'll pick and I'll choose. And, you know, once again, I'm, I got a small little human brain right here. So I'm not saying I have all this figured out. Everything, everything I'm saying right now could be actually, none of it could be true. And, and I'd be okay with that. 
because it's my journey and it's 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 what I'm learning. It's what I'm I'm experiencing. So I love the yeah, way that Jordan um, Peterson is ex- able to explain certain aspects. Yeah, I just saw Jordan live actually. How, I got oh, the chance wow. to meet him. Yeah, so he was he's he's on he's he's on tour again, and you know I did the the VIP upgraded experience and got a chance to take a photo with him and. Dude, it was absolutely incredible. I mean, Jordan has been, you know, in in addition to the Bible, 12 Rules has probably been the most influential book. And Jordan's probably been the most influential single individual on the way that I see the world. I've listened to the the, the biblical series probably four times all the way through. Like, I'm just, I'm just fascinated with the way that he is bringing evolutionary psychology, bringing, uh, the science and then, and then, and then showing it through the lens of like how this all kind of came together. Like it, we're talking man. about sales a little bit. We're almost an hour into this. We haven't said anything I, I, about sales. You, you, when you, when we, when we started this conversation, you showed me a blank sheet of paper. This is how this podcast is going to go, Joe. And I'm like, <laughs> this is great. Let's do it. Yeah. What do you want to know about sales? Cause a lot of people hear sales and they go, nah, I'm out. Or they, they go, Oh my God, car sales. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about what, what most people have wrong yeah. about sales, you know, both people that aren't salespeople, yep. but also business owners, right. You know, coach almost 40 people inside of Vince's group. And I can't tell you how many times per week I have an entrepreneur, a business owner that their job is to take sales calls and close people for money. And they say, yeah, Frank, but I don't want to be right. salesy. So what do most people have yeah, you, wrong it, about sales? It comes back to what's your why if your why is powerful enough the the problem that people are having is they're they're going in pitching as opposed to going in helping so and i don't care what it is whether it's a product whether it's a service whether it's a pro- coaching program it doesn't matter are you asking people questions or are you telling them what you have to sell cuz that's the difference if you're going in pitching somebody People don't want to be sold. They want to choose to buy. And there's a couple quotes here that are going to matter. People don't want to be sold. They want to choose to buy. The next quote is, people don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care. So the question then becomes, what can I ask? Not what can I say. What can I ask to find out about this other human being so that they are compelled to want to give me their money to buy what I have to offer. I asked the question, what can I ask so that I can help this other human being so that they are compelled Mm. to buy? In other words, I'm not, I don't have to sell the best salespeople I've ever met. Don't sell there. And and what's really interesting is the best salespeople I've ever met do half the talking. You got it. So you got to be listening twice as much as you speak. And so if I get to come to a conversation with someone and I can see and I can find out either what their pain point is and I can solve it or what their dream is and I can help them get there. It's one of the two. Right. Are you in hell? I'll help you get out of it. And let's face it, in sales, quote unquote, right? I mean, I have a podcast that's called the Help More, Sell More podcast. We start with help more. You help more people, don't worry, you'll sell more. That'll happen organically. So if somebody's in hell, their feet are on fire. 
as opposed to, I'd love to be in heaven. If you're outside of the pearly gates and you've, you've got a pass, and if it was the same price to get out of hell versus the same price to get into the pearly gates, I'll, I'll even go as far as saying this. If you're in hell and it's twi- it costs you twice as much to get out versus half the price to get into heaven, I guarantee you, you'll take faster action wanting to get out of hell. That's how we're wired as humans. Get me out of here, right? So those anchors, as we think about pain and pleasure, as per Tony Robbins back when you know you were 17 and even back when I was 17 and even before that, because I, I did some, I saw Jim Rohn live. Yeah, yeah, like that was Tony's teacher. So I got to be front row with Jim and I shared an elevator ride with Jim and like, like, and had a conversation after that elevator ride. And yeah. And so pain, if you want to, if you want to talk about sales, what is it that you're going through that I can help you with? And so you, you do a thing that I call the Ted approach and and I'm just going to give you some advice and you know, everybody listening, Take my information like spare ribs. You keep the meat and you throw away the bone. If it doesn't make sense, don't use it, okay? And whether it's a question of sales or whether it's a question of persuading someone that, again, I'm a big believer in win-win. So some of this information will, will some people may perceive as, well, that's manipulative. And I don't want to, if, if you, so there are people that, for example, that are considering, hey, I want to join your program. We, if we know that their intention is to use the technology and the information that we have for manipulative only purposes, they can't get in. And I'm okay with repelling the wrong people because they got to be in the right heart space. Uh, if I, if I ask somebody, so what's your why? And they tell me, dude, I want to be like, you know, super fat, rich guy. Right. Or it's, you know, I, I want to, I want to drive a Lambo. Like, like if it's all material, and there's no reason behind it, it's okay. You can go, there's, there's other programs for that. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with a Lamborghini. I think it's fantastic. Enjoy it. I like, I love driving fast cars. Just don't get me wrong. It's the why needs to be even bigger than that. And there, there has to be a purpose. Because, you know, when, you're in, when we die, right, we're going to be buried in suits with no pockets. Because you can't put anything in the pocket to take with you. You're going to be put away it, like when we're, when this is over, you can't take it. Like my hope for us is that we get to take these memories with us. And, and that like the, the, you know, think of a moment, Frank, where you can cherish, like you're talking about your dog, like a moment where you, you, you know, like that stuff, like stuff like that you can remember. And then like, hopefully that goes with us. And my hope that that's the, like for all of us, that's the deal because it's, you know, there, it ain't going to be the house. It ain't going to be the guitars. It ain't going to like none of that, none of it. And so the, the persuasive thing is, and I wanted to give you this is I call it the Ted approach. You find out that somebody's whether it's, whether it's the pain point or it's the dream. So if they're in hell or whatever their heaven is, when you find out what that is, and even if somebody said to me, I want to have a Lamborghini, I mean, and, and if it was just superficial, I would say Ted, right? T E D, right? You know, you've heard of Ted talks, right? Frank? Like, right. So tech, mm-hmm. Ted talks stand for technology, entertainment, design. The, my approach, what we call the SOS Ted approach. SOS stands for sales objection system. And Ted stands for tell me, explain to me, describe to me. So I would dig deep with somebody if they said, yeah, I want to, well, you know what? So, you know, I'd say, so 
why do you want to join our program? Well, because I want to be better at handling objections so I can make more money. Well, I wouldn't just dismiss somebody based on that. I'd say, okay, so tell me a little bit about that. Tell me, tell me why you want to make more money. And then I'll dig deeper. So explain to me the situation you are right now financially. So describe, so, the, so let, let me role play it out. So explain to me right now your, your situation financially. Well, right now, you know, things are tough and I don't know if I'm going to be able to make enough money to, to even make rent next month. Okay, so describe to me what that feels like as a man. It's a tough question. And you notice I asked the question and I paused. Did you hear my tone change? So what I'm sharing with you is when you lean into tougher conversations, tone and body language represent 93% of the way that we communicate. Everybody asks me, Joe, what do I say when? What, what should I say? What should I say? I can give people scripts all day long. The scripts are irrelevant. What matters is active listening, your tone of voice, and this thing that we've been given, this, you know, this bodybuilding tool that we have, this body of ours, represents 55% of the way we communicate. So as I look at you now, I'm watching your facial expression. And if you go back, if this is, you know, the video, if the video of this, you watch at this particular moment, your body, your body changed when I changed my tone and it's, it's powerful. And so this interchange between people, when you start doing what we call the Ted method, it's not just having the right questions. It's when you find out what the pain point is, you can, and you can use Ted. It's just an acronym. So it's tell me, explain to me, describe me. You can go in any order. You can go explain to me that, describe to me. So tell me how that feels. So it could be somebody who says, yeah, I've got, you know, I want to, I want to be in this fitness program. I got a bad knee. Oh, tell me how long you've been dealing with this bad knee for. Oh, it's been since high school. So can you explain to me what happened? I, you know, I tore an ACL. Okay. So tell me how you did that, right? It doesn't have to be TED, TED. You could revert back and forth. What's amazing though, is you have to ask those feel based questions. And do you notice that when I'm asking those questions, am I selling you at all? Cause what I want to get to, and this is, you know, another hint, and I'll be sharing this with some of the people in Nashville, taking notes, man. Like I do a lot of like my business is all on zoom. So I make a point of showing my notepad while I'm talking to someone when I'm talking with them, because people don't care about how much, you know, until they know about how much you care. So it's like, so I want to make a lot of money. It's okay. Money Lamborghini. Okay. So tell me a little bit more about that. And I, I take notes on that. And then what I do is I go over my notes and I recap. So what you told me earlier was this, and you also told me this, can you describe to me? And I'm recapping because I took notes. I'm showing you that I actually care. And I haven't tried to sell you anything because I want to get to a point where I can say, well, Frank, you know what? Based on everything that I've now learned about you, either I can help you or I'm going to send you over to this person who can help you because I want to have, I want to live with integrity. So if I can't help you, I'll tell you. So it's not a, it's, it, it, you're, you're, you're not selling a product or a service. You're, you're prescribing a solution to the problem. That's it. At the end of the day, right? Your 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 intaking form is is based around getting to the root of the problem, and then you're only going to make an offer if you actually have 
the solution and it's going to come through the lens of a, of a prescription. Yep. And so whether it's pro it's product, like, I mean, I help people in, in, in product-based businesses. I've, I've, I've cemented myself big time in the electric bicycle industry. For example, I've got like a huge fan base and, and it sounds kind of weird. You know, I started in the fitness industry, do a lot of work with, with exercise equipment, manufacturing companies and retailers. And then I got into the bicycle industry and then into the coaching side of things. So just, it all, it all, it, it's incredible. Now the, the, this, this, the rise is happening here in the coaching side of things, which has been blast. It's been a blast and I'm having more, uh, it, it's, it's hitting more chords for me. Do you think everybody has, has the ability to be great at sales or do you think that there's got to be something innately that you're, you're born with? And I, I think I know your answer because obviously you, you, right. you run a sales training organization. So I'm assuming you're going to say yes, but are you just, are, are you just getting the people that would be good salespeople and the, you're turning the answer is a little bit of both. I think every entrepreneur who wants to, to, as an entrepreneur or business owner, even if the thought of sales turns you off, we can help you change the way that you look at it. I've had countless testimonials, Frank. I'm not kidding. And I could, I, I'm not, I'm not kidding. Where people go, I thought it was going to be this. I've walked out feeling so much better in terms of my approach. And I don't feel salesy at all. It, it, again, because a lot of it's mindset and heart set. Okay. So that's part of it. You can have people that are, they're great speakers and they shouldn't be in sales. So just because you have the gift of gab doesn't necessarily mean that you're a, a natural born salesperson. So it, it comes back to, is your heart hmm. in the right place? I, and so everybody can learn skills. And I, I love that I've seen this interchange between Joe Rogan and <clears throat> Jordan Peterson. And I use this quote and I believe in it wholeheartedly. And I, this is for everybody listening. If you're ever curious about doing sales training, whether it's with me or anybody else, it doesn't matter. You're better. And here's the quote, you're better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a war. So I would rather have somebody learn techniques that they even per, for themselves, they feel, wow, that's aggressive or that's salesy. You're better to learn it and have it in your toolbox and choose to not use it based on your own levels of where you feel from passive to aggressive. And I want you to be assertive, whatever, wherever assertive is on that scale, it's your choice. We just give you the tools. So you're better to be that warrior in the garden than the gardener in the war, because if you don't know anything, you're going to get trampled and crushed. So to me, Hey, we're going to give, and when we start off nice and easy, and we're going to give you some softballs to, you know, hit out of the park. And then we start digging into some tougher stuff, like within a, within a couple of weeks, like I want to think about it. I need to speak to my spouse. What kind of deal can you give me? And mm -hmm. it takes practice. I mean, none of it. How long does it take you to build a, a championship physique? I still, I mean, I don't have a championship yet. I, mean, I have some trophies. So technically <laughs> I've been at this thing for 20 plus years and I'm still working on it. So uh, why would the muscle in, in between our ears be any different than the muscle that we have on our frames? It, 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 it it's, it's akin to any sport that sales in and of itself or building a relationship, or if, even if it's dating, or asking the boss for a raise, why would that be any different? What do people mean when they say salesy? Like, I'm just curious. Your, your, yeah, my your... professional opinion on the salesy approach is that it's because they're not taking the consultative approach. So, and, and, and you know what? 
like even go back to when you told us earlier that you or when you said about the cell phone industry. You remember that you were 21, you made you were making like and things have changed. This is the other thing that there's an evolution in terms of how sales are done. Things that worked 30, 40 years ago don't work today because people are smarter and the way that people consume based on, you know, things like this our phones and whatnot and the internet, things have changed. And so those approaches we we have to reconsider all of that. So somebody who's salesy is just pitching, just pitching, and they're selling, they're telling, 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 as opposed to, doesn't it make sense to ask more questions so that they could see if they can help? Got it. So that's the outverted extrovert guy that's a great speaker, but isn't coming at it from the place of wanting to help and serve. He's just, I know all this information. I want to sound really, really smart. And I really like talking to people. So you might as well just listen to everything I have to say. Yeah, well, it, precisely it. And don't get me wrong. I used to be that guy. I used to be that guy because I have no problem making a fool of myself, blah, 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 class clown and all of that. And then just, you know, let me tell you about my product. And it was, it's got this, it's got this, it's got this, it's got this, it's got this. And, you know, do you want to buy it? As opposed to how do I know that this product that I'm selling is even good for you? So if you can take the approach of, and again, I come back to, doesn't it make sense that I ask you some questions? If you could take your whole approach to how you talk to somebody and literally time collapse. So instead of pitching somebody for two hours and do it in 20 minutes, what would you prefer? Wouldn't it make sense to have somebody feel compelled to want to buy from you in 20 minutes as opposed to trying to beat them over the head for two hours to buy from you? That The, the latter is salesy. The first part is persuasive. So what do you want to be, salesy or persuasive? Mm. I'm watching you. I'm watching you unfold this, and you're like, "Hmm, right?" It, it doesn't it make more sense at that point to be able to just and, and again, how many times have you you heard this, Frank? It's all about relationships. How many times have you heard that in your career? Every day. You be interested, not trying to be interesting. And so if I want to be interested in someone, I have to ask questions. So one of my favorite mentors of all time, a good buddy of mine named Steve Lindenow, he married, actually, he was, he was the officiate for my wife and my wife, Shauna and I's wedding. Like then when I say like, so mentor, and I call him the quiz master. I call him the quiz master because he asks so many questions. He's one of the best salespeople I've ever met. And, and he's taken my course and I've learned from him through osmosis. He's 10 years my senior. He was a sales manager of mine. And what made him special was he asked questions. And sometimes the questions weren't relevant to what he had to offer. It didn't matter. What the, question, the questions that mattered were the questions that mattered to the person he was speaking to. So I could ask you, how many trophies do you have, Frank? Because yeah, I'm interested. I truly am because I, I competed as well. So what trophies do you have? I think I kept three of them. So that's my third place uh, in the WBFF Worlds uh, that was done in Orlando 2015. So that was after I left the NPC. This was before they had the classic physique, which the NPC introduced in 2016. So I competed up until 2014 as a heavyweight bodybuilder. Once again, I'm six foot three. So I wasn't even big. Like if I was going to compete at the pro level, I would have to walk around well over 300 pounds in the off season, probably be on stage around 270. 
like I was competing in 220 to 230. So I left the NPC, went into the WBFF because I had the male muscle model, which was like more of an aesthetic. And it's kind of what, you know, the NPC has turned into the classic, uh, classic physique. So I have that trophy. I have my first ever bodybuilding trophy, which was the novice in 2008. And then I have my fourth place in the state of Florida, uh, classic physique, which I returned back to the NPC in 2016, which was my last year. I did two shows and I walked away with the fourth in the state of Florida, which is probably my best uh, look to date, best look look ever. It definitely is the biggest show, biggest accomplishment that I had. So those are three. I got rid of the the rest of them because they're they're plastic. You know, um, but those ones mean something to me. You know, they, they they mean something to me. That's why I kept. That's why I kept those. Probably the last one, the 2016 uh, classic physique, because um, it was the best prep that I had. It was the best that I felt. Uh, I definitely brought my best package, you know, the, the word that people like to say, it just, I, 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 I had just, I had reached the physique that I chased for a very, very long time. So when I, when I started, I'm like, I want to look like Arnold 1972, you know, Arnold was six, two competed at two forty when he won the Olympia in 72 that year, I stepped on stage, I think at two thirty nine, uh, and I'm six, three, not that I had a physique that looked anywhere near what Arnold's did, but I, I'd gotten as close to probably what my body would allow me to do. So that, that one probably means the most. How long was your prep from beginning to end? Like, like, like from, okay, I'm starting to like feed to put on size. And then I'm assuming that's what you did. Like yeah. You went so from- well, for 2013 uh, to 2016, I never really got too out of shape. Like I was, I, I was, I was dialed in. I was, I was, like I was living the bodybuilder lifestyle. I had my, my, my other company, which didn't require a lot of time. Um, so I'd work four, six hours a day. So I was able to sleep incredible. I was able to train twice a day. I was able to get cardio in my food was dialed in. So I probably never got for in those three years, I probably never got over 11, 12% body fat. Um, but that prep in and of itself, it was 16 weeks leading me up to the first show. And there was a two week, uh, split in between the first and second show. So that year's prep was an 18, 18 week prep. So you had two shows literally like two weeks apart. What was your physique like? And did you, did you see any, any like where? No, no, but I'm actually glad that we did it the way that we did. Um, so the classic physique is height, weight ratio. And, you know, I measured myself and I'd always been six, three. So I was assuming that I was going to have to fall under the six, three weight class, which was two forty. somehow in water depletion. When you, when you cut your water, you actually lose space in between your joints um, so when they went to measure me, I measured in at six, two and a half. So there was a difference in, there was a difference in the, there was a difference in eight pounds between no the six foot three way. and the six foot two. So here I was, we prepared, we prepared for 16 weeks to get me under 240. I stepped on the scale at 236. Well, I had to be under 232. So I had literally had like two hours that I had to cut four pounds of weight. So I left the, I left the, the check-in studio. I drove to the local gym. I sat in a sauna for an hour, which at that point, your, your day out from the show, getting into the sauna is not going to allow you to peak on time. So the first show, I was actually very, very flat, but we learned a lot and then we were able to make small little tweaks. So I really only peaked once, but had we not done the first show, I probably wouldn't have had that trophy. I placed eighth in the first show. Um, and then almost in the same lineup, I slid up four spots. Like almost, almost exact, all the same guys. Like, and it was just, yeah, it was just having the, it was just having the actual t- time and not having to cut my water. Yeah. That is, that is huge. That is huge. 
Um, what's your favorite? It, it, so again, like this, I, I'm writing notes just because it is, you know, there's a lot, lots of process here and I'm giving you an example of like, cause I'm, I'm genuinely interested. What's your, what was your first meal post second contest? Cause you didn't, you couldn't really let loose after the first show. You had to stay dialed in. So what, what was your like, okay, I'm letting it go now. I can go out and have a cheat meal. Yeah. By that point, by that point, I was, I, all that stuff was kind of past me. So actually the first year I can, the first year I competed, um, I got, I got sick. I got very, very sick. And I, and I, I gave myself shingles. Like I, I overconsumed food. It just destroyed my body and immune system. Two weeks after competing my first show ever, I woke up and I had shingles going all down my back. It was the most excruciating pain I've ever experienced. So oh by that point, God. cause I actually had a photo shoot the, the next day. I had two photo shoots the next day. So I think after, cause I competed in Orlando, then I had to drive back to Tampa to be ready for the show. I think we went and had sushi. Um, and then I maybe had a small little piece of cheesecake. So nothing, nothing crazy outrageous. Like I, I, I had, I had done all the gorging, uh, cause I'd been competing for, for 10 years and I knew it wasn't, I knew it wasn't healthy. Um, and because the prep was so good, like actually never, like we never really reached that point. Like, yeah, I had to get, had to cut my carbs pretty, pretty low, but we kept a lot of red meat in there. Um, I've worked with the best, the best press coach at, at the time that I'd ever worked with. So it wasn't, it wasn't a very, it wasn't a very excruciating. It, 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 it led me to the next question. Did you have a prep coach? And your answer is every yes. single time. And every single time. Was it worth it? Of course. Okay. So, I mean, if you're, even though you have the experience to be able to do it. Yeah. I've prepped people to win. I've prepped people to place better in shows than I've, than I've ever placed. Like I have, I have a couple first place. And yet it's necessary. Right. And 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 so it still makes better sense to have outside. Mr. Olympia has a coach, right? You know, it's like, yeah, you, at at, at that point you need a, like you need a secondary a for number one, you're not going to be a true critic of yourself like you're not actually going to evaluate the physique the way that it needs to look at um and then at the point when you're getting close to making these ultimate decisions like your brain is not going to work at the level that it probably needs to so yeah everybody needs us everybody needs coaches in every area of their life right like i got business coach i got mindset coach i got uh, a physical coach still to this day like you know we've been talking about getting on the ground and crawling and this and that very fortunate you know as hard as i trained as much weight as i lifted I have zero nagging injuries. Yeah, I'll feel tight every once in a while. But one thing I have been doing is I've been working with a GOATA specialist, G-O-A-T-A, greatest of all time athletes is the acronym. And what they're doing is they, it's this whole new kind of wave of training. It'd be fascinating if, if, you, if you look into it, but they literally rework the way that your feet land and take off from the ground. So where I did have some, a little bit of knee tightness and some real bad hip tightness, literally this, this coach and trainer had me on the ground crawling I'm, I'm a grown-ass man crawling around on the floor in the gym but it's changed the way that i walk like i literally feel different the way that my feet land position and then take off from the ground and so where i was going with this is yeah still to this day after being a certified personal trainer being a coach competing in bodybuilding all these other things i still have a fitness coach to help me in the areas that i'm weak in 100 so so just to give you an example of, of even though that this is, you know, I'm not trying to sell you anything at this point, right? I'm just taking notes of what I've learned from you that like you were, your, your aspiration was, hey, I want to look like Arnold in 72. And you were training twice a day, right? You're doing your cardio and you're, you had two shows that were two weeks apart. You prepped for, for 16 weeks and therefore 18 weeks. And that you, the story that the fact that you came in at six, two and a half and that, you know, you still came in eight in eighth place. To be able to turn around and learn from it, 
and come in in your best shape in fourth place with essentially the same guys. What am I doing right now with this recap? I just show that I care about you, man. It's, it's, so when people say I hate sales or I don't want to be salesy, is that approach salesy? I don't agree that it is. The hardest part that people have is when they hear somebody say, it's too expensive, I can't afford it, I need to think about it, I need to speak to my spouse, I, I, why should I consider you, it's not in the budget, what kind of deal can you give me? These are all objections. And this is the part that we practice live. We have people that come in live. We don't just give you a book. We don't give you just a video. We actually do live training, and that's what makes us different. So when you ask, hey, Joe, let's talk about sales, we get people to practice this process, and we get you to practice the hardest part. It's handling objections. And I want people to do it where they're just like I'm having, just as I was having a conversation with you and listening and taking notes, it's that handling objections can be just as conversational. It doesn't mean that you have to be salesy. It does mean that you have to ask questions though. And we have to be cognizant of how we are in our demeanor. People get all nervous and right. Emotions go up. Intelligence goes down. Same thing. And so if you could learn that as a skill, what do you think that's going to do to your income or to your business or to even your relationships outside of business? I've had men that are in the dojo learning about sales that have said, I've turned my life around with my wife because of the way that I approach things. Uh, that's where I want to end, Joe. I think, and then obviously we'll drive this home. We went, we went far over, you know, far over what I, what I thought. And I appreciate you, you know, sticking around. I think this has just been an amazing conversation from, from start to, from start to finish. Right. Yeah. It's crazy. We're, we're 90 minutes into this, but you know, so, so we're going to have, a, you know, obviously there's entrepreneurs, business owners that listen to this and then a large audience that doesn't, you know, so for the guys out there that aren't in business, aren't in sales, What's the value of learning some of these, you know, communication persuasion skills for the guy that maybe is not looking to grow his income? And I think you kind of hit a couple here, but maybe kind of summarize that up and then we'll, we'll bring everything to a home here. So, so for, for the men that are fathers, are you, do you ever find yourself that you're having a challenge dealing with your children or your young, young adult children, like teenagers? What would it make a difference? Would it make a difference for you to be able to communicate with them better? I'm going to give you the the two-step formula right now, everybody, okay? The two-step formula is acknowledge the person you're talking with and then ask a question. That's the two-step formula of the SOS. Of course, there's practice that's required. It's acknowledge, ask a question. So in the context of somebody who perhaps you want to be able to have a better job, it's not about sales. You want to go ask for that raise. How do you acknowledge the people that you have to speak to and what questions can you ask them to make them feel compelled to give you that raise as opposed to you having to sell them on the idea. What can you do as far as your relationship with the people that you care about, your family, whether it's parents, whether it's aunts, uncles, whether it's your significant other. I can tell you right now that it, my, my, my very own wife is now in the dojo. We've been together for 12 years. She's now taking the program. I'm not teaching her. By the way, she's being taught by one of my black belts. And there's a reason for that. Because you probably know, Frank, if you try to train or coach somebody that you're super close to, it's it's, it's just a big no-no. So she's in a group with one of my black belts. And now she's coming up to me and she's going, I get it now. It's fantastic. So she understands it. So we're both communicating better. And and what what does that mean for us? 
it's, it's all about the deep-seated relationship because uh, does it mean that that it, it's always perfect? No. Sean and I have our fair share of moments. However, I can tell you that doesn't it feel wonderful to be able to smooth things out so that we could be better understood? Because again, I'm not trying to, in, in the case of when things are tough, I don't want her to understand me. I'm doing my best so I can understand her. So how do I do that? I acknowledge where she's at and then I ask questions. And how important is it? Well, it's important for me to have the right tone, the right body language. The words aren't so important as, as am I being real? It's just, it's, it's so bizarre, man. And it is, do you ever find yourself, Frank, where it's like, hey man, am I being an imposter right now? Like people should know this stuff. And yet the truth is, the more I do this, the more I realize, man, they don't. And that's, that's my mission. I want to help people. I needed that right there. Yes, I feel like an imposter every single day. And actually, the guy that's going to be piecing all this together, well, he's a part of uh, our production team, was involved in a conversation just a week ago where I was, I was, I was having a, an existential crisis. Like literally like, what am I doing? I want to shut everything down and just close shop and feel like I'm a complete fraud. And, but I just want to help. Like, that's it. I just, I, I know what getting porn out of my life did for me. And like I told you, I think before we started, or maybe I said it on the, on the podcast, like I was, I was, I, I couldn't understand with Frank, you understand humans to such a deep, deep level, psychology, human nature, high performance, bodybuilding, fitness, health, nutrition, all of these things. And you still got caught up in this. What about the entire world that hasn't spent 20 years learning all this information? They need me. They need me. Like, so I, I, I brother, man, I really appreciate this. man. Thank you. They, yeah. Mona, I appreciate you. They, and this is for everybody else. And as I say this to you, Frank, they need you so that, and you know, I know you're skilled. When I say skilled, I say you're, you're skilled as a person that cares so that you've learned the skills to be able to ask questions so that you could provide them the help that they need. That, for those of you listening, that's exactly what I want for you is to, you know, like earlier on we talked about, well, you know what, I'm, there's, there might be some people that are in their comfort zone and they're, they're not afraid of anything. It, it, listening to where you are, that example of that, that existential crisis that's a, that's a perfect place to end it. I love it because you're, you're exactly, you're exactly it. You're, you, you take, you're taking your skill set and you're constantly learning and you're giving back because it's, it's the power of what you're doing. Your why is bigger than you are. And I thank you for it, man. No, thank you, brother. Thank you, man. I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to Nashville, man. And just, just, I, yeah, I can't wait to look up to you. I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you a big giant. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna lose you in my arms, bro. I'm gonna give you a yeah, big, I'm giant, gonna be like this. big giant. Big giant Frank man. Bear hug. Hey, so where can people? Where can people connect with you, man? I, I, you mentioned you had a podcast. Where you know where where are you hanging out socially online? People want to learn about the dojo. Um, yeah. You know. If, yeah. Just if you're curious about about me, uh, Joe Marcu, you can go to Coach Joe Marcu on Instagram, Coach Joe Marcu, or you can go to sosdojo.com. If you want to listen, you can go to sosdojo.com and join our email list and come in for a free dojo. Just come in and check it out. It's it, no obligation. We'll talk with you. We'll let you experience it. Have some fun. Again, it's make a difference, have fun, keep growing, get paid. Those are the four things. Come and have some fun with us. Yeah. And guys, we'll, we'll get all those links uh, shared down in the show notes. It's Marcou, M-A-R-C-O-U. 
X. X. Uh, yes, sir. Yes, sir. This has been fascinating. Last question here, Joe. We end every single episode with the same question. Uh, title of the show is The Superman Life. You know, and when I talk about me living Superman life, it's really, it's a belief system, right? It's kind of the way that I try to show up and live in the world every single day. And it's two parts. It's understanding or a belief first that I believe we're all put on this earth for a purpose. There's a specific calling on each one of our lives, but that's not it, right? Like you can't just say, yeah, I have a purpose and then it's going to create and manifest itself. You have to take like the ownership. You have to take the responsibility part and be intentional about developing the skills, about being a man of service. So when you combine those two, you're created for a purpose. You take an aggressive and intentional action every day to bring that purpose, to make the world a better place. To me, that's living a superhuman life. But I like to end every single episode here. Joe Marku, how would you define living a superhuman life? Love the process, not the outcome. Mm. Love the process. Get married to the process, you guys. If you marry yourself to the outcome, you're going to be nothing but disappointed. And expectation, one of my spiritual mentors, a retired Anglican priest, shared me this. And it was, and my real name is Joel. So Joel, an expectation is a resentment in hiding. And expectation is a resentment in hiding. So if my expectation is I'm going to have this goal, look, you know what? You can't just pray for the goal. You have to do the work to achieve said goal. So to do the work is the process. Fall in love with the process. Fall in love and marry yourself to the process and good things will happen. That's the superhuman life. Beautiful, beautiful ending there. Guys, we haven't had a 90 minute episode in in a long, long time, but... Um, I hope it blew by as quickly for everybody still hanging with us that it did for us being involved in this. Just incredibly thankful for everybody out there. Once again, the show has just seen tremendous growth here in these last few months. And it's because of you, right? We're just two dummies with microphones that want to hear themselves talk. That's it. Uh, you guys are what is this is this show is all about. So if you haven't done so yet and you want to support us, you can do that in one of two ways. First off, leave us a five-star rating and written review, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, whatever platform you are listening to. But more importantly, if there's somebody in your life that's something today they need to hear. Maybe they're struggling with some of the fear stuff. Maybe they're maybe they're early stage entrepreneur and, and, and some of the objection stuff we, we got into a little bit is what they needed to hear. Do us a favor, but do them the blessing by sharing this conversation with them. But for Joel, Mark Q, Frank Rich, hit the Superman Life. We love you guys. We'll see you next week.